So Chris has been walking us through um, some suburban legends and suburban myths over the last few weeks. And as our seniors get ready to graduate, uh, I thought I would touch kind of on a myth or on a legend uh, that simply bringing your child, bringing yourself even, uh, to church two hours a week is enough to really spiritually form ourselves into the disciples that God wants us to be. I know for many of us, uh, we, we mentally know that, we mentally get that, that two hours is not enough, but many of us kind of live that life where we just kind of rely on this time right here, two hours a week, to spiritually form us. And we're like, yay, I went to church and I'm great and holy. And that is kind of a myth because if you look at the Bible and you look at uh, what God tells us, uh, He wants more than that, more than two hours. So I'm going to open up with a couple of passages um, about what our goals should be as we try to develop our young believers and try to develop ourselves and to be spiritually formed in the way that God desires us to be and uh, to be lifelong believers. The first one is Philippians chapter 3, written by Paul to the church in Philippi. He writes this, Not that I have already attained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jumping down to verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, uh, you have us as, as a model, keeping your eyes on those who live as we do, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even in tears, many, lie, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Paul is asking, what is our goal? What are we focused on? What matters most to Jesus' people? And then Deuteronomy chapter 6, kind of the, the key verse that I kind of think about when I think of youth ministry, children's ministry. The writer says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. It is a call to faith every day, an everyday faith, not just a few hours a week. So today isn't maybe a typical Senior Sunday sermon. Seniors, I'm not going to tell you to go change the world and go do your best and make lots of money because I don't care about that. The things that are out there on those tables that I hope you get to go out, we're proud of those accomplishments and we're proud that you've worked hard in school and we're proud that you've done a great job. But if it's been at the expense of your faith and knowing Jesus, then there's a problem. 
Because I think maybe as leaders, as parents, as your church, and as a culture we live in, we've set you up to walk away from church and maybe even your faith by getting priorities mixed up about believing that two hours a week at church is simply enough. So what are the facts? The, the Barner Group studies these things, and uh, they, they provide us some interesting statistics about these things and about young people and about uh, their relationship to God, their relationship to church, and their relationship to spirituality. Uh, the Barner Group recently told us that uh, six out of ten students will walk away from church and faith within the first decade of their adult life. Some studies even put that at close to seven out of ten students. They tell us that unchurched millennials, which is the age group from, born, from 1984 to 2002, and some put that a little bit even further, that group of unchurched millennials, those who don't go to church, those who don't know God, has risen in the last decade from 44% to 52%. And now, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not like freaking out about these, but uh, these are stats that I think we should be paying attention to uh, because this is an issue. And studies are showing us that students are leaving. Um, and uh, the, the studies are also showing us, and this is why I'm not too much of an alarmist about this, is those who are staying are deeply rooted and deeply committed. And to be true, those who are leaving were never really committed in the first place. They just came because mom and dad brought them to church a couple hours a week. So I'm not an over, overly alarmist, but, but what is happening is there's a shift and the way people view God and view church. In 2006, Josh McDowell wrote a book called The Last Christian Generation. And I haven't read the book, but I've seen a lot of information from it and a lot of uh, the stats that he finds. So in 2006, he interviewed Christian, young Christian teenagers, and this is the thing that he gathered from them, that 63% of Christian teenagers don't believe Jesus is the son of the one true God. That's Christian teenagers. 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is even real. And of those, only 33% of them say that church will be important after leaving home. And that was 2006. Our, those people are now in their early 20s, late 20s. And I look around and they're not here. They're not in our churches those of you who are in that, that, that range, we're glad that you're here. We're so thankful that you've, you are the committed ones, that you're one of the three or four who have stuck it out. Because I think for the longest time what we've done in churches and as parents, we've approached this with what is a prodigal son mentality. And what I mean by that is in late high school and in college, our kids begin to get uh, distracted. They begin to slip away from their faith. And they begin to uh, find other things to do. And uh, what we do is we kind of ignore that and we kind of let them find themselves. And that's kind of a nice way of saying that, um, you know, it's okay that they're going to do some sinful things because, you know, they're going to come back, right? We kind of ignore some of the things that they do. Because this is the thing. We believe that we've raised our kids to be good people. And as long as they're not hurting other people, then it's okay. And we've believed in a prodigal son mentality that when they get done with college, when they get jobs, when they get married, when they have kids, they'll come back. And for many of you, that may have been you in your, your early years. Kind of did some things you shouldn't, kind of strayed a little bit, and you've come back, and so you've hoped that your children will. 
but they're not anymore. They're not coming back. They're, they're not coming to our churches. Many of them are walking away from faith altogether. And why is this? Is it because the world is so sinful? Ah, and it's poisoning their little hearts? Read your Bibles. Just read your Bibles. People of God have lived amongst sinful culture for all of eternity. The first century was full of sin. And people rose above it. People rose above that culture. To be honest, I think maybe as a church we failed somewhat to adapt, to be more relevant, to inspire younger generation, and that's kind of on us. We've, we have not adapted to uh, the changing psychology of people, and that's a little bit on us. But to be honest, and, and I think maybe you're going to hate me for this and maybe find me afterwards and punch me in the face, and that's okay. Um, but I think... Many of us, we've settled for just having good kids. We've settled for a couple of hours of church a week and being okay with our kids being good people. We've put more focus on good jobs, accelerated education, great memories on the ball fields, trips, vacations, money in the bank, living the American dream than we have on spiritually forming disciples of Jesus. We've stopped talking about God on the road and in our homes We've taken our eyes off the goal. We look behind us and we look to the left and we look to the right instead of looking forward and making godly people. And I fully believe this, is that when, when goodness is enough, godliness and holiness falls away. When we're just okay with good kids, their godliness and their holiness will slip away. When we believe that two hours of church, at church is enough, and it's more important to do other things than have lifelong followers of Jesus whose goal is holiness, we've missed the mark. So what does this look like? Many of you know if you've seen me preach before, I'm a very visual uh, kind of guy. I learn visually, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I feel like this looks like. Uh, but first, if you didn't know, I played high school basketball. Uh, that's me. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, man, look at those twigs. I, I believe that ball weighs more than me. Um, I played high school basketball at a large public high school, and I uh, graduated with about 400, 500 students, um, and uh, I wasn't obviously the biggest. I obviously wasn't the, the, the strongest. Um, I obviously uh, wasn't the fastest. Um, when I was a junior, uh, briefly tell this story, when I was a junior, my basketball coach put me in weightlifting with the, high, with the football team. And I spent most of that time hiding in the bathroom because I didn't like lifting weights with the football team. Um, but man, I could hustle, and man, I could shoot. I could drop threes. Boo! Hand in the cookie jar, right? Um, I, 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 my, the, the guys on my team, if you know who this is, they nicknamed me, uh, all the guys on my team knew me as Kerr. They called me Steve Kerr because I could shoot. And uh, he's, the, he's the, uh, high, the, the head coach of the the, the warriors now, but, um, but I could shoot. And, and so, um, what I want to kind of do illustration-wise is, uh, is kind of set up a goal here. Um, I've got a big goal. Um, I've got a big goal. This is a big goal right here. Um, and, and, you know, I've still got game. I still whoop up on uh, Will Emery pretty, pretty much occasionally in the, um, in, the, in the gym. And, you know, I still got some shots. I can still I was glad I didn't miss that. Um, <laughs> I can still hit that, that shot. I can hit that. This is a big goal here. I can hit this. Um, 
But what about this? What if, what if I, I shrink my goal just a little bit um, to this? What if I shrink it just a little bit? It, it maybe makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, let's see if I can hit this. <sighs> Try that again. All right. I can probably shoot, you know, this I'd, I'd make 10 out of 10. This, maybe 5 out of 10. But what about this? What if, what if I shrink it just a little bit more? What about this? Let's see if we can hit that. To be truthful, if I probably took a hundred shots, I might hit the cup once or twice, um, but not many. As I move forward this morning, I want this to begin to be a a visual metaphor for, I think, what we're doing. Because if we look at the scriptures, the people who followed God and the people who really followed Jesus what they did for themselves is they set up huge goals spiritually to follow. They set their sight before them in a huge way. They were not perfect people by any means, and they missed shots here and there. We know that. But what they did is they set up huge goals for themselves to succeed spiritually by the way they live their lives. Because what happens when we shrink the goal, we drastically decrease the opportunity to be successful. When we shrink this goal, our success gets smaller and smaller. And I'm beginning to wonder if we are shrinking the spiritual goals of our students and our young people. Because people who are much more smarter than me, what they're beginning to find out is that students look at God in a completely different way. What's beginning to happen is that US, the typical U.S. millennial young person, now does not no longer believe in the God of Scripture and the God of the Bible. They believe in what's being called moralistic, therapeutic deism. And what that means is this. They They believe that God exists and watches over the world. They believe that God only wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. The central goal in life is to be happy, and feel good about oneself. God is not particularly involved in a person's life, except when he is needed to fix a problem, and good people go to heaven. The goal is being shrunk from holiness to just goodness. And we shouldn't be so surprised by this because what we're doing is we're filling our students' lives with so many distractions. Our spiritual goals for them are decreasing while life successful driven goals, entertainment and activity, we're increasing those goals, but their spiritual goals are getting smaller and smaller. So, um, we're going to have kind of two goals here this morning, two big goals that we have for our kids um, we're going to have uh, in this, this pool is going to be our, our success and our, um, our, our lifestyle-driven goals. We've got our education um, things. Uh, we got, we've got our fun things. Batman! Yay! Um, we've got, oh man, sports. We've got our sports. Um, oh, that's actually something else. 
uh, we're going to step back for a second. Um, we've got our, our stuff. Um, we like our stuff, right? Um, we've got our, our money. Um, I'll throw this in here. Um, we've got our, our money and our stuff, our success-driven kind of things. Um, I want you to ask your kids this later today uh, because studies are revealing this, and I've asked some of your kids this. Uh, why? Ask them why they work so hard and try so hard in school. Just ask them. Say, hey, why do, you, why do you stress out so much about your tests? Why do you stress out so much about your schoolwork? Because I've asked them, and what they tell me is this. They tell me, Sean, I, I do it because I want to get good grades, because I want to get into a good college, because I want to get a good job, and I want to have, I want to have stuff. I want to have a family. I want to be able to buy a nice house. I want to be able to have a nice car. I want to have all the stuff that I want. And because mom and dad expect it. Our kids are begin- <laughs> have stopped learning because education is important. What they've done is they've shifted their goal to just the end game. They don't care about knowing things. They care about where can this get me in life to get stuff and look successful. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, Sean, but Sean, isn't good grades, isn't good job, isn't college, aren't these all good things? Don't, doesn't God want me to do my best? Yeah, he does. He does. He wants us to do our best. But I don't think he wants us to do the, our best at the sake of knowing him. But Sean, but Sean, if I do all this and I work really hard and I make good grades and I get a good job, I can, I can help more people with more money. I give more money to the church. But it never adds up. For some of you in here, long ago that may have been true of you. The harder you worked, the more opportunity you had to give. The more opportunity you have to be involved. But studies are showing us now that our, our young people, the more they make, the less they do. The less they give. The less time they have. Because it's a rat race. They're so worried about getting the next job, the next promotion, the next big thing. They don't have time to help somebody. They don't have time to be involved in their church. As P. Diddy once said, mo money, mo problems, right? I have conversations like this. And every conversation that I have with a young person who's ambitious and looking for that six-figure salary... Most of them, they've quit coming to church. Or if they do come, it's because mom and dad really want them to. It's a holiday, and they're like, "Uh, mom and dad want me to come. Because their eyes are set on something else. And then in the other pool, um, what we have is, uh, and this is what these are for, we have um, our fun, our activities, our sports, um, our our stuff, our, our games, um, the things that, that, oh no, the things that um, we like, the things that are fun for us, the entertainment that we have in our life. I want you to ask this, parents, do you feel more like your kid's social director, activity planner, than you do their spiritual leader? Chauffeuring them around from clubs to activities to practices 
driving all over the city, stressed out, be like, oh, I've got one kid here, I've got one kid there. And you never have time to really sit down and talk about God and read Scripture together and spiritually form them. I'll show you a quick video, and uh, it's about two and a half minutes long, and uh, so watch this. My son is getting older and we're approaching the time where we're going to have to have the talk. I mean, there's a real battle going on out there for the hearts and minds of our children. We decided to be more proactive and intentional with our daughter. My father instilled in me this passion and his father before him. I feel tremendous pressure to get this right. All you can hope for is that they remember everything they were taught. It's important to start young when building a foundation. So when the hard times hit, they won't stray. They will remain faithful. It's never too early to introduce your kids to your favorite sports team. We live in Dallas, so a lot of the kids on the playground are cowboy fans. We're going to try to keep her cowboy free as long as possible. I had her yelling Lakers when she was still in the womb. This is a legacy that I want to pass down to my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-grandkids, grandkids, you know, if the world still exists. There are a few very important things that he needs to know before growing up. One, that Michael Jordan is the best to ever play the game, hands down. I don't want my son to grow up in a world where LeBron James is the greatest of all time. I mean, six championships in the discussion. Cowboys cheat, the Cowboys killed Spongebob, whatever it takes to get this idea out of her head that the Cowboys are cool, I will do it. If it means dressing up like a cowboy and scaring her in the middle of the night with a chainsaw, I will do it. I don't want to have to force it on her, but let's face it, I'm going to have to. It's the Royals we're talking about. I have a daughter, but hey, who said it was going to be easy? It's all about being intentional. All you have to do is plant the seed. As a Red Sox fan, I, I really want to teach him. Hey, Dad, Mom needs you downstairs. You know, I, I didn't start early enough with that one. I wish I had. Could I accept my son liking another team besides mine? No, I couldn't. Does that make me a bad father? No, it makes me a great father. <laughs> now, that's funny, and we laugh, and we, uh, we giggle, and we think about it. What are we passing down to our children? Is it just our favorite sports teams? Is it just the fun things? You know, I, I love it. I, I love it to death that Colin loves Batman. When he sees like Superman things, he's like, Superman stinks. And I'm like, yes. And living in Tennessee, I've, I've trained him that when he sees the, the big white T on things, that it's the ugly orange to go, ew. And I'm happy about that. But, you know, at the end of the day and at the end of my time with him as I raise him, am I spiritually forming him? Am I putting other things in front of him that are more important than God? If he sees my like and love of Batman as more of a priority by the way I live my life and the things that I do, I may just be setting him up to walk away and find other things more important than God. And listen, these things, these activities, these are not bad. These aren't bad things. Being, being successful and having a good job and doing well in college, these are not bad things. But they tend to distract us. 
And we spend so much time increasing these goals while we shrink our spiritual goals for our young people. Because what we want out of our kids is we want them to be the best student, the best ball player, the best actor, the best club member, the best musician, so that they will grow up to be successful, financially secure, happy adults. And when they struggle in these areas, we get more coaches, we get more tutors, we get more training, we get more teams, we get more expectations. We wade ourselves deep in these waters of this stuff. But from a, spiritually goal, a spiritual perspective, spiritual goal perspective, we seem satisfied that our kids come to church with us and they might have gotten baptized when they were in middle school. Because the truth is, I mean, I played high school sports. Two hours was not enough to be any good at basketball. It just wasn't. But we tend to settle for two hours of church to spiritually form ourselves and our children. Where is the spiritual expectation for our young people to be disciples of Jesus? Jesus seems to be just, again, just a part of our lives. We say that, right? God's, God's a part of my life. But God wants all of it. We shouldn't be so surprised that they walk away from church and faith because look at what we've done. So what does Jesus say about this? Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, raise, to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not looking for distracted followers. Going to bury your father is not a bad thing. But if that's your priority, Jesus can't use you. Going to say bye to mom and dad, to the family, is not a bad thing. But if that's your priority, Jesus cannot use us. And he uses this kind of metaphor analogy. And I'm not a farmer. I know nothing about farming. But I do know that when you uh, want to make your, your lines in your garden and in your fields, you want them to be straight. And when you plow, what you do is you set, uh, uh, set out and you look straight ahead and you look out into the horizon and you walk and you have your animal do the same thing and you just head straight towards a mark. Because if you look to the right and you look to the left and you look behind you, your lines begin to move back and forth. And again, Paul told us in Philippians to stay focused on the goal. Don't get distracted. Don't shrink our spiritual goals while enlarging our earthly ones. And church, please listen to me. This is not a guilt trip. I don't want you to feel bad and I'm not trying to make you feel terrible and heap shame upon you this morning. But I believe it's my job to call us to re-examine our lives, to examine what we present as important to our young people, to ourselves, to the people who sit next to us, to our neighbors, to the world that we live in, to present to them what is really important. 
Look at your time. Look at your schedule. Look at the conversations that you have. Does it increase the cross? Does it increase Jesus' name? Or is it more about other stuff? And I already know some of you are saying, eh, that's not going to be us. We're going to do all these things, but it's never going to be us. And I'm asking you, please don't say that. Please don't come find me in the lobby and be mad at me because you're like, man, you sure are beating on my sports. I love sports. I'm not beating on your sports. But what are we making important? My job is to constantly ask you to reevaluate your spiritual life as a family and as an individual to look at what is your goal. Is it for us to have good, successful kids who like our teams and like our hobbies? Or is it to have spiritually mature disciples of Jesus? And for some of you here, the truth is this, your children have walked away despite your best efforts. And I don't want to heap shame and guilt on you this morning. And I don't want you to sit there and think, man, Sean thinks I'm a terrible person because I don't. Because for some of you, despite your best efforts, despite setting out a goal for your children, they have walked away. Because every person young and old, has to make the decision for themselves. Will I buy into Jesus and will I claim him and will I follow him? Despite your best efforts. And for some of you, your children may have walked away, but for some of you, you're such godly people that others have been brought to the cross because of you. Because they've seen it in your life. So please understand my goal is not guilt or shame, but my goal is to get us to wake up, to realize there is more to this world than our success and our fun. We better wake up. Students, you better wake up. Middle school students, high school students, those of you who are about to go off to college, if you say you're a Jesus person, you better look at your time, you better look at your schedules, you better look at the things that are important to you. Because if this stuff is more important to you, don't be surprised that you don't feel close to God and your faith starts to slip. But there's hope for us. There's always hope in Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see what he did there? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think back to Luke chapter 9. He's talking about plowing. And when you're yoked to something, when you're yoked to another animal, when two animals are yoked together, they can do more than one can alone. And Jesus is saying, put yourself with me. Follow me. I am good. I am faithful. Focus on me. Attach yourself to me. Some of us are burned out on trying to reach all these goals. We're stressed. We're tired. We're weary. We're overwhelmed as families, as students, as individuals. And Jesus is saying, just come to me. Just come to me. Focus on me. So what do we do with these things? Do we ditch these things? Do we go live in the woods and uh, just spend time together? Do we live in the church together and just like, just stay here all the time? Um, no. And, and this, this message isn't a boost church attendance message. You're not like, don't, please don't sit there and think, Sean just wants more kids in his youth group. Because I know you're not always going to be here. I know that you're going to have things that you do and you have responsibilities and you have to do it. Um, but what I'm talking about is simply making holiness our goal and not other things. 
and making holiness our goal in all the things that we do. Because this is what the first century church struggled with. They were like, should we just kind of quit doing everything? Should we just kind of live in a house together and everybody just kind of worship Jesus all the time? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You kind of have to still go to work and you need to, you know, support the people around you and you need to, you know, have a job so that you can have some money to help other people. And he writes this in, in, to the church in Rome. And I'm going to read it from the message because I like the way it's written there. And it says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in, so that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly to respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings, you the, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. If we want lifelong disciples, young and old, we have to decrease our priority on this other stuff, and we have to put the gospel of living holy in our sights as large as we can and as big as, that we, as we can. Because two hours a week is simply not enough. Spiritual formation should be our biggest goal. Spiritual formation should be what we put above everything in our lives, in our activities, in our successes. We're proud of those. We're happy about those. But spiritual formation, creating disciples of Jesus, should be the most important thing. John the Baptist puts it the best when he says, He must increase while I must decrease. Because these things are really about us, right? We want all this because it's about us. We do all this because it's about us. John the Baptist says, He must increase and I must decrease. So let's raise a generation that is not just good people. Let's raise a generation that is holy people. Because again, when goodness is enough, holiness and godliness falls away. This morning, I don't know where you're at, and I don't know, for some of you, your families, you're worn out, and you're busy all the time. And listen, please don't come find me in the lobby and yell at me. Um, call me on the phone tomorrow and yell at me. Because we're not going to fix this in a conversation in the lobby. Have lunch with us. Meet with us. Meet with the elders. Meet with Chris. Meet with myself. Meet with our leaders. We want to help you as families to put Jesus at the forefront. Look at your time. Look at your schedules. What is most important? Maybe for some of you here this morning, you've never claimed and put Jesus on in baptism and made him your Lord. And I would encourage you, if you're curious about that, you can come up front and we can talk with you. If you're ready for that because you've been studying and you're ready to uh, put Jesus on baptism, our baptistry is ready this morning. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know is that we live in a generation and young people are looking at these things as the most important things to them. And then we sit back and we wonder... Why don't they love God as much as we do and should? Because we've put so many things before them as distractions.
the goal of spiritual formation has shrunk in their eyes. They don't see holiness and godliness as the most important thing anymore. They just want to be good people. And when goodness is enough, godliness and holiness falls away. If there's anything you need this morning, please, you can come up front, find us afterwards. But we're going to stand and sing. And you can come up here and we can pray for you. So please stand as we sing.